right, beautiful mamas, we are here. We are on that wall. We are saying, Lord, please teach us what we need to know so we can shore up the people that we love the most, our children, our grandchildren. It is you being here tonight. These kind of things that justify the heavens to intervene and to heal you, to heal your home, your relationships, your marriage, your communities, your this nation. So don't discount any little effort that you make because God sees it and he will bless you for being here. And so thank you so much. Welcome to our ninth cottage meeting in our cottage meeting series. There's 12 lessons here. I hope you have this purple manual that you're using it, you're reading it, you're reading it after the lesson, maybe read it before the lesson, that you're sharing some of the stories, the quotes, the little links and so forth with your children. Let's see that first slide, Hannah. We're going to talk tonight about a time to sow, planting seeds or ideas for quality family time and what quality family time looks like and what you reap. You reap an abundant harvest when you focus on making family time quality time. And really almost any time you're with family, <laughs> I think it's quality time because we're so dispersed as we go to the four winds of the earth each day when we wake up and the kids leave at certain ages that anytime you're all together, uh, that's a special experience. So um, we're here with Moms for America where we believe that liberty begins at home, that our greatest acts of patriotism that we will perform will be within the four walls of our home. It's great to be with you tonight. So let's see the next slide. The last uh, time we met, we talked about fostering a love of beauty through music and poetry and literature and art because mothers truly beautify and help children to see the world and all see beauty and to see the world and its beautiful expressions. And as we uh, nurture a desire for love and beauty, uh, it will kind of have a restorative power in our little garden of liberties and in their lives. So I, I did away with all my, took down all my bunnies and my eggs and put up all the 4th of July decor and uh, let's see the next slide. When my girls came home and saw it, they were like, oh, mom, we love it. It's so pretty. And my husband said, Jolene, don't you think it's a little much? So I know I've done it up right when my husband thinks, do you think it's a little much? But the children love it. And they know that mama loves freedom and daddy loves freedom also, actually. And we, we love these founding fathers. You know, I have a couple busts. <laughs> There's, that's our backdrop for today. So today we're going to discuss quality family time and tr traditions in the family, like the importance of the dinner hour. And principles are, are important uh, to instill in the traditions of the family. We know that what is taught and nurtured in the home today becomes the foundation of societies in the future. We're also gonna talk a little bit about self-governance, teaching that to your children and home management and uh, such as chore charts or uh, devotions or schedules or even a little bit of budgeting, what, what some of these things might look like. Small and simple things, like eating together or working together or playing together over time really do make for strong families. We know this and we know that strong families make for strong nations. So what we are sowing in our homes now, these little routines, we're establishing patterns in our children's lives and in our grandchildren's lives. And these sorts of activities will reap rewards and they will rise up and bless our families 
and make them strong. So let's see the next slide. Ronald Reagan said, all great change in America begins at the dinner table. Do we have that slide? All great change in America begins at the dinner table. Do you think he's overstating that? I, I don't think he is. All great change in America begins at the dinner table. Let's see the next slide by uh, Lori David, the author of The Family Dinner Hour. She said in her book, The Family Dinner Hour, she said, everything we worry about as parents from drugs to alcohol, promiscuity to obesity, uh, to academic achievement and just good old nutrition be improved by the impact of eating and talking together around the table. All right. Do you believe that? Just think, have you seen that in your life? Think of all the disputes that could be settled, the dreams that could be developed, the virtues that could be nurtured and the relationships that could be fostered if we took the time to sit down and have dinner together as a family. We could solve, I even think, the problems that ail our nation right there at the dinner table. I truly, let's see that next slide. I truly believe that. Do you? Do you think that's a, a, a little bit of an exaggeration when you know they say these things? These are just a, a few of the pictures of my crew through the years eating together. And believe me, we've had some knockdown discussions around that dinner table, especially as the kids get older. And we're discussing, uh, you know, um, events of the day or even current events. There was a period there where uh, my oldest daughter was proclaiming to kind of sound uh, like a feminist. And I'll never forget on Christmas morning, we're all, uh, um, <laughs> we were at Frank's house. All the kids are, you know, adult kids mostly. And we got into it over, you know, the role of a woman and a man and and but it, it never got to the point where, you know, someone got up out of the table and stormed off, but it got a little heated. But then we were able to kind of self-regulate because we were used to eating together and having these kind of discussions, even on Christmas morning about feminism. And it was interesting to me. I didn't really interject because I wanted to see, you know, how it would go. And I was so impressed that they just kind of disagreed or they just agreed to disagree because they had been used to, you know, hashing, hashing out the uh, uh, problems or sharing experiences or reminiscing or talking around the dinner table. Let's see that next slide by C.E. Sargent. He says it is, I think it's a he, it is the influences of home that live in the lives of kingdoms while parental counsel repeats itself in the voices of republics the nation really is a magnified home. Do we have that slide? It is the influences of a home that live in the lives of kingdoms while parental councils repeat itself in the voices of republics. The nation really is a magnified home. Do you understand that? As you've learned to kind of, you know, bring your will and your natural tendencies in, in life under submission in the home, you will take that out into your communities and into your uh, um, employment 
and into the positions that you will hold in leadership. And no doubt the voices that you heard your mother and father counsel at home, you will repeat as you sit on councils as, as you become an adult in, in leadership. So in the supplemental material today in lesson number nine, there's an article called Family, It's About Time. Now, um, mamas, I'm not reminding you of anything that you don't already know. We live in a fast paced world and every day we wake up and we hit the ground running and I mean, just getting the kids to and fro to their activities can, you know, leave us feeling like we're an Uber driver some days as we are running. And, uh, you know, with so many things pulling us in so many directions and filling our day and filling our time for family, finding time for family can be difficult. I've learned, though, you don't really need to get away to spend quality family time together. You don't need to, you know, go on vacation or make big plans or go long distances or spend a lot of money to have quality time as a family. Let's see the next slide, uh, Hannah. Quality time doesn't need to be complicated. It can be as simple as a conversation. Let's get some of these slides going if we can, as, as setting the table with your child as you're, you, you know, going around the table or just taking a little walk with the dogs. If you have dogs, you got to walk those doggies every day. I have, we have five children ages 15 to 28. And some of my sweetest interactions with them, even to this day, are just doing mundane. Let's see the next slide. Simple things together. The more time we spend as a family, it, it's been proven, the more well-adjusted your children will be. And well-adjusted children are good citizens. Stead, there are studies to prove that. Just hanging out in the hammocks in the backyard with the dogs talking to each other or, you know, taking a, a walk out, a little nature walk. Let's see the next slide. I, and I've seen, I've seen this when uh, my adult kids are coming home now and when everyone is under the roof from time to time, out of the five kids, only one is married and she only lives 10 minutes away. So the kids still want to gravitate home. Let's see the next slide. When they're all under one roof and they're all getting ready to come home for Father's Day this next weekend, they always say, oh, this just reminds me of the good old days when we all used to, you know, be here uh, together and we watch movies late into the night in dad's office or, you know, and when it's cold, uh, we would like roast marshmallows every night, it seemed like, and, and lounge on our couches and read books together. Let's see what the um, next slide is or they would spend time preparing, you know, food in the kitchen for dinner and, and talking. And, and uh, you know, it, it made me realize that quality family time does not need to have a specific agenda or a planned activity. Sometimes it's just those spontaneous, comfortable moments and routines and activities that, you know, might just last a few minutes or it, you know, it might be hours you sit around the table talking and bonding. Still, it's, sometimes fun to have events or establish traditions when all the kids are at home. The book gives us uh, some ideas to foster family bonding. Every Monday, we would have a family night when the kids were growing up, and we would sometimes take them to the gym at our church, and we take balls and scooters, and the kids would, you know, uh, zip around, or we are, let's see that slide biking we would go for family bike rides. And it's interesting, even now when we go anywhere or travel, the kids always want to rent bikes because they grew up having family bike rides. Or um, how about uh, every Friday night, pizza night? Every Friday for years was pizza night. Let's see the next slide. 
and we watch a movie together when they were young or let's see the next slide. We have quite a few slides in that or helping uh, working on a home project. This is our, let's see, let's go back to the home project. <laughs> um, you know, working out in the yard together or painting rooms together or doing board games, you know, maybe a one night a week is a board game or making dinner together. Let's see that next slide, please, Hannah. Or um, my uh, husband loves to make breakfast foods. And so this was looks like it was a birthday breakfast. He always makes a big breakfast for all the kids, but even when it's not birthday, <laughs> <laughs> on sa on Saturdays and it's usually you know a French toast scrambled eggs fried potatoes apples scrapple do you all know what scrapple is <laughs> I didn't know what scrapple uh, was he he taught me bacon and uh, we, we call them these breakfast bonanza, bonanza mornings and they're a little bit of work but the kids gather around in their jammies and they sit around the table and just enjoy each other let's see the next slide or how about uh, concerts? Is that something that you do with your children or, or your family? You know, it's interesting in so many communities, let's see that next slide, that we lived in, they uh, would offer family discount tickets uh, to the symphony or to, you know, the theater, even the ballet. Let's hold on here for a minute. And uh, so, you know, when the kids were young, they would get squirmy and they would complain. I'd always take, bring a stash of chocolates and pull from out through the concert. But some of those family concerts are shortened. They're only an hour. But as the kids got older, they really began to enjoy them. And as my boys, you know, I've got like a six, five and a six, four boy and they're just manly dudes, but they, they'll just, they go get, they go right out along. I mean, for every year they just go to the Nutcracker because that's just what we do, you know? And so, and now they're even taking their dates to the symphony and those kind of things. So, and every time we're together, if we go visit somewhere, they always are like, what's a show we can go to? Let's see the next slide. So the book talks about, you know, going on hikes or going to picnics in the park or pitching a tent in your backyard and everyone's sleeping in the backyard or sleeping on the trampoline during the summer. Have you ever done that? Uh, I know we've, we've slept on the trampoline in the summer together as a family or having a movie marathon. My kids like to do all the Harry Potter movies or all the Star Wars movies and, uh, and then, you know, all the get their favorite snacks. And certainly, you know, visiting libraries or zoos or museums or did you drive in movies in the summer? We, we've done that. We get our we take pizza and, and sometimes we see not one show, but two shows and get home at one o'clock at night. It's important to let your kids plan these little events and these little traditions as well. Let's see the next slide. So we just have one child left at home. She's 15. She's going to be a sophomore in high school. And so every year we've always made a summer calendar and we made it last night. So there she was. This was just last night. She was like, we, and you can see June is already, we're already starting to fill it in with some activities and barbecues and when we're going to go to the beach and we're going to go to Orioles baseball game and some of the trips we're going to take. And, and she's excited and she was a part of the planning we want we want everyone to be all in and so sometimes it's fun to create a summer calendar uh, together I, I do a big poster board and i tape it right there on the refrigerator i wish i had pictures when the kids were littler um my brother would plan a service project in the community uh once a month so all the aunts and uncles and cousins that could 
we would get together and we worked in food banks, uh, in retirement homes. We did cleanup at parks. We would um, uh, serve food at shelters. We cleaned the Ronald McDonald houses. We picked up trash on nature trails. We painted little old ladies' houses. Now, you know, through the years, probably, I don't know, it feels like it was three or four or five years. I mean, the kids remember these service projects and they complained and they whined. It was on a Saturday and sometimes they'd rather go hang out with their friends. But those memories now that they're 28, 25 and 23 are precious as they, you know, forge uh, relationships with their aunts and uncles and cousins, not to mention, you know, how it feels to serve. It feels good to serve. Let's see the next slide. Obviously, from all these little photos I've shown you, when you do these activities, take pictures. When you have some of your little traditions, when you go to the museum or the pictures, and then let's see there the little photo books if we can. Um, I don't know if you've ever made any of these photo books. You can send your pictures in and they send you these little books. And I've made quite a few of them through the years. And my kids have loved looking at these photo books more so than scrolling their phone. There's something about these little photo books and set them out so they can remember all these great times and experiences that you've, they've had as a family. If I could, let's just go to full screen for a moment. If I can just give you a little word of caution, you probably know this. It seems like a the beginning of every school year or the beginning of every summer, we have to establish new rules for screen time, especially as the children begin to grow up and, and you know, discover the world of electronics. I find that I kind of have to set new guidelines and restrictions uh, on their social media or their cell phones or TV or, you know, video games or whatever it is, because you'll find as you get older, if you don't put restrictions on their screen time, it will slowly take away from the time that you can connect with them because they disappear into their rooms. Uh, I usually have had my kids put their phones in my room by nine o'clock at night. Oftentimes I haven't allowed them to take their phones into their rooms. They have to only use their phones on a certain level in the house. And it's hard. It is hard being vigilant about uh, the, the digital access, the screen time, but that will eat into your time together. I'm finding, uh, you know, the hours that they can spend on TikTok. So what we're trying to do here with this lesson is to create an environment where young children are learning and feeling safe as they grow and older children feel comfortable if they want to come back home. I'll never forget, let's see the next slide. Um, a few summers ago, we're doing, we're doing great, Hannah, we are. When uh, a few summers ago, I had a conversation with my girlfriend who um, had a 22-year-old son who was attending the, a lot of ra uh, protests. Let's see this slide. There you go. And, you know, she and her husband, the relationship was strained anyways. I think it was a lot of Black Lives Matter protest, and, and, um, and the husband was just discouraged with this boy because he was not making some good choices and, and, and his behavior was troubling to the father. And so one day the son came home to visit mommy's 22 years old and, and she asked him about, you know, all his involvement with the protests. And he said, uh, well, mom, I don't really agree with everything that goes on there. Um, but um, I, I just, she sensed that he felt like he found a place to belong there. And she didn't, she mainly just asked questions about about what he was doing. And she said, I just wanted to, 
to have him feel safe about being able to talk about what he was doing. And of course, everyone in the family was worried about this young kid. And, and dad was afraid they were going to completely lose him if he continued to make some of the choices he was making. But mama felt like he was really looking for acceptance. And he seemed to find it in this crowd at the protests and everything that went along with that, or at least an illusion of being accepted. And I'll never forget that wise mama saying, when that illusion fades, I want him to still feel welcome to come back to us, his family. And so she was going to keep him close, even if they didn't agree with some of the things that he was doing. Uh, and he didn't live at home. He would just come home and visit from time to time. The thing that I loved about what this mother had to say was she knew that it was important that home was a safe place for him and that he could talk about some of the things that he was trying out and experimenting with without being chastised or shamed. Now, I think most of us will agree that raising children right now at this time in the world, leading a family as through the different ages can be very daunting and can be a very overwhelming task as we're feeling the fiery darts of the world, of the indoctrination and the grooming that they're receiving at all levels on social media and schools and the universities. We're feeling it with the Pride Month, the LGBT Pride Month. I mean, I can't, I live in Washington, DC. I just, I just got a notice from the National Cathedral, the events for Pride Month, the whole cathedral is lit up in rainbows. I mean, this is, this is the beautiful <laughs> Episcopalian church, I, I guess, you know, they're obviously they're, they're celebrating Pride Month. And so how do we counter this tidal wave of, you know, false promises of happiness and acceptance and really lies to some extent? Well, how do we counter it? This is what God says, how we counter it. Let's turn to the slide of the scripture references. In Genesis 18, 19, we're told to command our children and those in our household to keep the way of the Lord. He wants us to teach his laws, to teach those stories in scripture. Let's see the scripture reference slide. And then in Proverbs 24, 3, it says, through wisdom, a house is built. Okay, so God is saying it's through instruction and learning you will build your house. And by understanding, is it, it is established. When I think of understanding, I think it means we're going to have to be compassionate at, at certain ages with our children. And we're going to have to be patient makes me think of the prodigal son who left the home and made foolish mistakes, squandered his entire inheritance. And when he finally came back, what did his father do? His father ran to him. His father threw a party for him and roasted the pig. And so we have to we teach them and then we have to be understanding and, and, and patient. In Joshua 24, 15, looks like I'm going out of order here. Joshua 24, 15, we're reminded, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Let those children know that this is a believing house. You believe in God. You believe in miracles. You believe in uh, his law. You believe in commandments. And uh, I love the Proverbs 22, 6. It says, train up a child in the way he should go, and he will not depart from it. That is a, that is a promise there. And, you know, sometimes they are going to depart for a time. Can I see that next slide? 
But if we do all we can to teach them to pray and to go to God and to love him and to write those little Bible stories on their hearts so they can see how God works. I want to tell you a little story of my family. I come from a family of nine. I come from a home of divorce. My father left when I was 14 years old. My mother was a godly woman, though. We saw her. She taught us to pray. She taught us to study the word. And we were so poor when dad left. I was 14 and the, the twins there, I have the mom had twins at 40. The twins uh, were 16 in that picture in the white shirt and the brown shirt are the twins. And then my 18 year old brother and I was about 22 at that point. I'm not the picture. My mama was diagnosed with cancer when these kids were young, when they were about 10 or 12. And, um, and so their father left and their mother was told she was probably going to die. And so, you know, these kids, she did the best she could to, you know, keep it together. And so my 16 year old uh, brother there, I think he was 16 in that picture, uh, one day came home and told mom that he had been smoking marijuana for quite some time. And he just, he wasn't thinking clearly and he was scared that it had permanently fried his brain or something. And so what did my mother do? She gathered all of us that were home. I'm not in that picture, but I was the oldest one at home. And we knelt in prayer for that brother. And he was there. And then she had my 18-year-old brother. She was trying to teach him to rise up and be a man, offer a special prayer. Let's go back to that picture if we can. Keep, keep it on that picture. I have a few stories about that time in our life. So my 18-year-old brother um, offered a prayer of healing over that 16-year-old brother. And it was powerful. I will never forget, you know, mom didn't go to the school or to the therapist or, you know, whatever. She Her, her initial reaction was to rally the family together because we were used to praying. She had taught us to pray. So when my mom had died, the twins were 18 years old and my little sister uh, left, left the, the teachings of her faith and she went out in the world and she moved in with a boy and she no longer, you know, lived how she had been taught for 17 years. Uh, she was kind of on her own and I, I stayed really close to her and I love her. And when she was ready to come back, come back to the faith of her childhood and to come back to how she knew she should be living. It was very easy for her because my mother had laid that foundation. And now 30 years later, there are the twins. They're almost 50 years old and they are good godly people. They have beautiful families. My brother in the green shirt there, his oldest daughter is serving church service mission. And my beautiful sister had a two children and, and um, one boy is autistic and he's 14. She's the best mother. And she takes uh, those children in prayer and they worship together in the faith community. And she teaches them from the Bible. And so, you know, for a time, the children might depart, but if we have faith and we teach them the things that God has commanded us to, they will return. I have seen it. It is clear to me that God cares about what goes on within the four walls of our home and how we teach and instruct our children, our grandchildren who we have stewardship over because he knows that what we do as mothers, we shape, we mold, and we help to determine their destinies. All right, let's see the next slide. Our founding fathers understood a, a, a 
fundamental principle of liberty in the 5,000 year leap. Principle 21, it says strong local self-government, local self-government is the keystone to preserving human freedom. Our founders wanted most problems to be solved at the local levels where they originate closest to the people who know best how to solve them. Let's see that next slide. And they got this from Moses because our founding fathers studied the Bible and they saw Moses. Moses established the first uh, republic representative government out of Genesis and Exodus and Numbers when he brought the children of Israel across the wilderness. There was three million of them. And he set up captains over 10 families and captains over 50 families and over 100 and over 1,000 families. And Moses only heard the most difficult problems at the top. Now, when all roads lead in modern times to Washington, D.C. for problems to be solved, we have a problem. When we centralize all of problem solving in Washington, D.C., gradually what happens is it benumbs the spirit of volunteerism at the local level and people lose their ability to want to solve their own problems. They want to look to the program or to the bailout check you know, to take care of their problems instead of figuring it out themselves or getting on their knees and asking the Lord. When problems are identified at a local level and citizens are held accountable to rectify and correct it at the local level, it inspires people, doesn't it, to be a part of, of the solution as they have a direct invested interest and in say, and everyone can kind of pool their ideas and suggestions and everyone is motivated to improve because they are directly impacted by what they're doing. So this also applies to families instead of outsourcing our problems to the schools or counselors. And I'm not saying, you know, those are not good resources, but our, our first instincts when a challenge arises is to go within the four walls of the home, is to turn to God. We know that, you know, one of the principles is we look to God for not only our freedoms, but for deliverance and solutions. Let the family be the first line of defense, just like my mama did when her son came to her and said, I've been smoking too much pot and I'm scared. <laughs> this is one of the principles that keeps us anchored in hope as a mother when we teach our children, when we look to God, when we have problems and we teach our children, we gather them around and we go to God for healing, not government or outside programs. And there is a place for the therapist and programs, but our first instinct should be, let's rally the family. Let's go to God in prayer. I would recommend, let's see the next um, slide. In the resources, there is, let's see, yes, very good. Uh, a book called um, House United by Nicolene Peck. She is so good about teaching children how to change children's hearts and behaviors. Do you have some children? Do you know of some children? Do you have grandchildren that seem to be completely out of control? She has put together a series of classes, uh, seminars. She does online seminars. This book is so wonderful for bringing kids that seem out of control into control. She teaches uh, principles of self-government. She's taught her, uh, her children and she actually uh, was on an episode of a show called The World's Strictest Parents. It was it, it was four seasons, and I think there's 30, 33 episodes, and I, I think it was like 2009 or 2010 that ran for a few years. And um, in the world's, uh, and I think the link to the YouTube is, will be put in the chat by Hannah, but um, I think it's an hour, maybe it's a two-part series, it's two hours, but um, 
she shows how, let's see the next slide, how two out of control rebellious teenagers, Hannah and James from the UK came to stay at her house, I think for a month. And they were wild. I mean, they were smoking in the bathroom and Hannah was a, you know, had a, a baby out of wedlock. So the baby was back in the UK with the mother. And I mean, they, they just were scary kids, you know. And by the end of the month, they were so in love with her because she had brought structure and discipline and routine in their life. I remember watching this show with my kids. <laughs> we were really mesmerized. But I would really highly recommend if you are in a situation where you don't know what to do with some out of control children, use some of her resources. Now, when my kids were younger, I had a simple little work program in our home to teach them responsibility through chores. And I would pay them according to how they completed their duties. And we had a little money management program to teach them savings and paying tithing and how to manage money. Let's see that next slide. So we call our little program commitment let's go back to commitment to excellence there you go commitment to excellence and i found uh i don't know why i've kept it but i found that one of the each child had a little binder and they would fill in their little chores because it was different for every child and i think i paid them 25 cents for every little mark and then they would mark it each day i before they leave for school i'd say do fill out your commitments to excellence so this is Mary Alice. Uh, this was like 11 years ago. So cleaning her room, studied the scriptures together. Look, I had to pay my children to read the Bible now that, the, you know, the truth is out. But, you know, you got to do what you got to do, mom. I pay her to practice her violin. She do a little personal uh, progress that was in her little youth group she belonged to. And she would water the plants. And sometimes I'd give them a, you know, spontaneous story each day and I would make them memorize little poems or scriptures and they'd get paid for that and then at the end of the week they would tally it up on their own typically and then I would pay them in three envelopes one envelope was for spending let's go back to commitments to excellence they and and I would make them um, put 20 percent of their 21 dollars into savings and then they would have to put 10 percent for tithing to, to give to the church which will give to the poor and then 70% they could spend any way they want. So I would fill their little envelopes up at the end of the week. We did that for years and it helped to incentivize them. It helped to teach them principles of self-government. If they didn't do their chores, they didn't get any money and they couldn't you know, go to their movies or whatever they wanted to do. And I mean, we hoot and holler as the kids got older about our commitment to excellence. We are committed to excellence, I would always say. But guess what? All the kids that left the home are mostly financially independent. And this little Mary Alice here, who is 11 years old, she's 23 now, she has paid her tuition and her housing for the last few years. All of the kids held part-time jobs when they got to be teenagers because they were used to handling a little bit of money and, and they liked that. Mary Alice the, um, actually was my most entrepreneurial-minded she would have camps uh, in the summer. She would have neighborhood camps and teach violin lessons. I truly think that it was the seeds that we planted through our little silly, humble commitment to excellent work program and their little weekly paydays that they got and, and uh, you know, kind of figuring out how to save money and to give money to, to the poor church and, and, you know, budget their little money is what has allowed them to do what they're doing now. And this little Mary Alice that you're looking at her little work chart, I wish I had a picture. She just graduated from college. For three years, she's been working on a skincare Mojave mud um, 
business. She made $20,000 in the last two weeks because one of her uh, videos she did went viral. And so I just have to chuckle and I just wonder, you know, at the time I'm doing commitment to excellence and yelling at them to do their chores, so to speak, and them, you know, sometimes not always doing it very happily. 10, 15 years down the road, I'm seeing the fruits of, of this simple and consistent family routines and traditions over time help to contribute to a quality family life. What are some of the simple things that you're doing right now that you're wondering if it's going to bear any fruit? I promise you, keep doing it. Let's see the next slide. In the book, The Promises of the Constitution, another book I really recommend that gives little vignettes of, you know, um, parts of history and the importance of the family in vignettes 13, uh, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, and 14.5. Uh, it talks about the family and it talks about quality family life, praying together and time together and studying the word of God together and teaching the constitution together. I love that vignette 13. Uh, let's see that next slide where it talks about family prayer. I have seen, I bear you my witness, the strength that comes into a family that prays together. Truly a child who learns to talk with God openly in the security of that family circle in that home will be more secure and will honor God throughout their life. And, you know, oftentimes uh, we, we would have prayer in the morning with our, we do our little devotional, we'd study scriptures, and we do a few other little things that I talked about and I'll share in a moment. And then we would, we would pray. And sometimes, you know, the kids would find me and it's funny, um, even the dogs in the house, when we do our family prayer, slither in, we like to just get in a circle and hold hands. And sometimes we kneel, sometimes we stand, sometimes we're in a super hurry and we have to stand by the door and we just hold each other's hands while they leave. You know, sometimes we can't, you know, you do whatever, whatever there is time to do, but always just a quick little prayer. And sometimes the kids are irritated because they're in a hurry and they're going to be late, but they know that we're going to pray. It's just that important. Many times through the years, uh, the kids have found me. Um, these are my, um, and uh, these are the four oldest and then the baby's right there in the middle. The, the other white dude is my son-in-law. <laughs> but the kids will find me when they were teenagers. If there was a big game or they were worried about something at school or had a project and they would ask to pray, I'll never get a big game. My, the kid with the braids, um, <laughs> Frankie, who would go on to you know, be a professional basketball player at a really important game. And he came to me, um, we were on the stairs and he said, mama, can we just have a prayer? I gotta go, I'm getting, gotta go get ready for the game. And we knelt on that sta stair and he, he, he had faith that that was going to help him. God loves it when we talk to him and when we lead our children to him through prayer because God listens and he answers and he reassures and he respects the desires that we hold in our hearts. And I have felt that power come into our home as we have prayed together as a family and my children have felt it as well. You don't have to you know, use fancy language when you talk to God. It can just be a simple plea, dear God, and then just you know, teach them to say whatever is on their heart and then end it in his name. Amen, you know, and, and uh, there's another vignette in Promises of the Constitution that talks about studying the word of God together as a family and teaching them to love and understand the founding father and the Constitution. You, you know, I've, you've heard me talk about um, 
through the years, uh, how, you know, the devotional evolved with the ages when the kids were little, you know, that big kid with the braids, that's him when he was about a year old. And then that was my oldest girl. And how I did the devotional then is I would just hold up a picture from the Bible and I would, while they're eating their little table at their little tykes, uh, <laughs> plastic table. And daddy wasn't even home. He went off to work. So it was just me and little kids when they were little. And then I taped the picture of that Bible story up and I would do four little stories that week. And then on the fifth, on Friday, I'd have them try and tell me about the stories. And the whole week when they're eating their little cereal, their little, you know, sandwiches, they'd look at those little pictures of Jesus and the story that they had learned. And look, there is my little work program when they were little. I, I think it's called the Helping Hands Chore Chart. And I, they put a little hand up if they <laughs> did something around the house. I mean, it was just so silly. But, you know, then we graduated to commitment to excellence. And now they've graduated to, you know, uh, taking care of mother. <laughs> you know? And so you can see these little seeds. And even if your kids are teenagers right now, start something right today. I have found that, you know, don't think that you've blown it if you didn't do certain things when they were little. If you start something today and you are, say, children, we're going to start to pray every time in the morning and at night. And if you are consistent, if it is important to you, it will become important to them. You just have to be consistent about it. You can start something with teenagers. You just have to show that you're serious about it by being consistent. Let's see the next slide. And so as the kids got older, we'd you know, pull out the Bibles and then we'd tell them a story from American history. And then we'd do a 5,000 year leap. And then I began to review the headlines in the newspaper. And now we just have one little girl. And you've seen, I think, some of the pictures of how I do that little devotional with just one little girl. It's in the kitchen at the island while she eats her breakfast in the morning. So, you know, devotionals are going to change as the, the age groups change. Let's see the next um, slide. And then now when they're older and they come back home, you know, uh, they just know, oh, yep, time for a little devotional. They don't even give me a hard time. They're big old lunks. They just pull out their scripture. And dad, at this point, when I started to do devotional, dad was a little resistant or he wasn't even there, but he began to understand how important it was, what I was teaching them. And he wanted to join me through the years. And so he, he leads the devotional. Of course, we teach right along with them. But if you can, there's something powerful about having a father uh, involved in that devotional, that family circle, teaching these kind of things, planning these kind of truths in the hearts of a child in that family setting will create unimaginable power. I testify to you of this. These daily little routines and patterns will help fortify and shore up your children in so many ways as the virtue that they learn from home will follow them into their universities or high schools or into their marriages and careers and their relationship with God and with others and their opinions and the way that they will activate as citizens in the community. It is our rising generations that will someday direct society and operate the government. So now is the time to sow these seeds of family time, of traditions, of prayer, of devotions, uh, can, can I see the next slide? I'm going to share with you something that just happened yesterday. Oh, so I'll just, uh, so these three kids are all adult kids now. They're out of the home. They're in careers. They're married. They're doing, uh, you know, uh, grown up things. And I'm making it sound like they're all angels. They're not. 
believe me, I've spent hours on my knees for some of these kids, all of these kids, uh, worried sick uh, about, you know, uh, some of the things that they might have been doing or exposed to or decisions they were having to make. But I just stayed the course and they knew when they came home, it would be safe and that, you know, I would love on them and we would turn to God if mistakes had been made and that they could be forgiven and they, they could move forward. Let's see the next slide. I'm not quite sure what I have here. The next slide. I think it's of the two boys. So on Sunday, I think for those that were in class yesterday, uh, let's go back to the two boys. Uh, both of them separately, one lives in Las Vegas and one is in Utah right now. They took pictures of them going to church with their buddies and they sent them to me and I just had to chuckle. I didn't ask, you know, for proof that they were going to church, but they wanted to send proof. I think that mom, we are good boys. We're trying, you know, and I just thought that was so cute. Let's see the next slide. So yesterday, something interesting happened with my 15 year old. Uh, a mother of one of her friends took her home. She was at her friend's house and the mother, it was just my daughter and the mother. And the mother just uh, had a very stern 15 minute conversation with my daughter and uh, about something that she had overheard her daughter and my daughter were planning a, a project for a, a girl's camp um, skit that they're having to do. And the mother didn't, I, I guess, like you know how that conversation went. And so she got the car and just kind of really, you know, was very firm and stern about the way she talked to my daughter. Uh, and um, so when my daughter, I was home in the kitchen, when my daughter got home yesterday, she's 15, she came in and she just burst out crying. And she said, mom, she just felt like she'd just been attacked. You know, this, this grown adult woman. Uh, just kind of setting it straight there with our little 15-year-old girl. And I'm telling you, this is what modern day kids do. She taped the conversation in the car because the mama just was just not letting up. So I actually heard about hmm, five minutes of what this mama was saying. And it was, it was not right. And so immediately I thought, oh, and I, and I love this this woman, I know her, she's my friend. I know some of the things she struggles with. And, uh, but still it was my instinct as my little girl. And she's just, she's a darling little girl. Uh, she doesn't typically make people cry. And, or, you know, she doesn't typically, anyways, come home and start crying because people had to reprimand or discipline her. And so I wanted to, so I knew this was a going to be a teaching moment. <laughs> And, you know, we had just been reading in John that week about um, how God will come to us and he will comfort us and how we should love one another as, you know, the two great commandments to, to, to love God and to love our neighbors and, and love our enemies even. And, um, and so shortly after this, the mama texts my daughter. And she says, Marie, I'm sorry. I have confidence you two girls will work it out. Honestly, I've never believed in getting in the middle, although that's probably what she was doing. I just kind of lost it today is what she said. And I heard how she was speaking to my daughter because my daughter recorded some of the call. We love you dearly. And so she said, because, you know, at this point, you know, she had been crying now. And I said, honey, so then, we reviewed some of these scriptures about, you know, loving those that, that, you know, persecute us and loving our enemies. And, you know, at this moment, she felt like an enemy. 
And so, um, so we talked about some of the things that she, how she should respond. And, and then, you know, ultimately I asked her, how did you respond? And that's how she responded. That's okay. We all have bad days. Love you too, Marie. And so I had to think, you know, instead of her saying, you know, putting something back rude or, or me calling her, worst of all, and kind of laying into her. And, and she and I, but mama, we did have a, a text a dialogue the next day because I just felt like things had to calm down. But I, I can see that when you're teaching your children in the word, it helps to temper volatile situations and how they respond. Okay, so one of the best ways, let's move on, and then we are coming into the home stretch. One of the best ways to influence our children and our grandchildren is by eating with them. Imagine that with all the distractions in the world today, our family values are constantly under attack. So the return to this old fashioned idea of eating together is well overdue. And I know it's hard, especially as the kids get older and they have sports and after school activities that keep them, you know, going in different uh, parts. But if it's a priority to you, even if you can, you know, eat together three times a week, or it, I think there's a statistic here about eating together. But there's a book called The Food Nanny, and here she is. She's written a book. Her name is Liz Edmond. And she, in the beginning of the book, she talks about studies that show that children and teens that eat together with their parents are just happier. Uh, and when um, the mealtimes are more structured, like you actually, you know, instead of just having food on the stove and kids can eat when they come and go, but having it structured, eating together, they'll, they'll, um, there will be more nutrition and they will develop better language and literacy skills. You, you'll have fewer di eating disorders if you eat together and fewer riskier behaviors. And in the front of her cookbook, she talks about families that eat three times or more together, their teens are two and a half times uh, less likely to smoke and they're one and a half times less likely to drink alcohol and they're three times less likely to try marijuana if they're just used to eating together. Mealtimes become a way to bond, she says, and it, it shows uh, children, it shows them that they have a caring adult that is accessible because you know they've got you when you're across the dinner table so in the food nanny let's see the next slide she um, talks about helpful ways to meal to meal plan and she actually has this calendar and you can go online and you can print off the template now she has put in ideas for the food but it's just a blank template and she recommends posting a meal calendar on your fridge so your kids can see what they're going to eat that week and, um, and then let's see the next slide. She's made each night of the week a fun theme night with recipes in her book. So the first chapter is uh, all about comfort foods. Let's go back to that. And then Tuesday, let's go back to the, the Tuesday is Italian night. There you go. Wednesdays is fish night or a meatless night or breakfast night. Thursdays, Mexican night, Fridays, pizza night. And so that she's got her book organized according to the night. Sunday night is, or Sunday is the traditional meal. And, and let's see that next slide. It makes me think every Sunday growing up, 
mom had the same dinner for my whole life. And there's the Sunday dinner. You've seen this picture before. Everyone there's on Sunday. That's some of the grandkids. And there are the twins right there. And she, like for 15 years, every Sunday, she would make meatloaf, mashed potatoes and gravy, corn, green jello salad, deviled eggs, and rolls. And then for dessert, we'd have bowls of ice cream. And I so look forward to that meal every Sunday afternoon. It was a wonderful time to come together and talk about, you know, what had gone on at church or what had we had done the week before or events coming up. And we would stay around that little humble little table for hours and talking. And that's really some of the best childhood memories was our Sunday dinner full of comfort foods and love. Now in the supplemental material, let's see that next slide. There's an article entitled Four Tricks to Getting Your Family to the Table. And many a child's character, it says, and esteem has been strengthened through these mealtime discussions, this article points out. And so she recommends these four tips. Number one, let's see the next slide, announce the dinner. Make a habit in the morning of announcing to everybody what dinner is going to be. Let's go back to number one, announce the, the, the menu. And so you could actually, that menu that I showed you, you could print it out and then I would just write it in and uh, I would say, you know, I would tell them in the devotional, oh, we're, we're going to have, you know, chicken and rice with um, cherry pie and ice cream for dinner tonight. And you can you can have a bulletin board, you can have a whiteboard, you can post it on the refrigerator the week so they can see, they can begin to salivate. Imagine before your kids go out the door, you told them that, oh, we're going to have chili and homemade cornbread smothered in uh, butter and honey for dinner tonight. Can't wait to see you. Children couldn't help but leave for their appointed destination, school or whatnot, feeling like all is right in the world and mom's on the job. I can't wait to get home and, you know, dig into that homemade cornbread. I remember when I would post the meals on the fridge and I did her little program for several years and I would make that dinner announcement in the family devotional before the kids would leave. And it was very effective, especially in getting the teenagers to want to come home instead of stopping off at fast food after school with all their buds, they would want to come home and, and get this meal that I had told them we were going to have. Number two, set the table. It sends a quiet message that the dinner hour is important and that it's, it's, it's going to be good. The author talks about when she uh, was raising her kids, they were poor, they didn't have a lot of money, but she would always, you know, put the little paper napkins and she would buy little dollar store um, vinyl placemats. And then, um, and she would set the table before she went to work. And then as the kids got older, they shared in that responsibility, but setting a table. And I get this signals to a family, children, as they pass by that dining area, that you are serious about family dinner and they should be serious as well. And it's a visual reminder where they need to be at that appointed hour. I have experimented with this when I make dinner for my kids and I didn't set the table, they were more inclined to just get a plate when they came in and go uh, eat dinner in front of the TV. But when they saw that I had a charger and a little plate and you know a glass and it was kind of set up, they knew that we were gonna all eat together. Okay, number three is provide food aromas. When you're beginning to make dinner and the kids are hungry and they're wanting to start to snack or eat, if you'll just start like frying some onions, even if you're not going to use them for dinner, if they can smell, see evidence, smell evidence that food is on the way that they can hang in there, they can see and smell visual evidence 
that maybe some of their crankiness can be calmed down. And then lastly, number four, introduce some fun traditions around the dinner table. So uh, every birthday we make homemade cards and we get a, a special a plate and we have a big dinner and I'm sure you do something like that as well. And we, everyone has to wear birthday hats. Let's see the next slide. Even Ralphie has to wear a birthday hat. And, and so that has been a part of some of our meal traditions with the birthday. Let's see the next slide. And then everyone is quiet while everyone reads their homemade cards. But even something like putting a penny in a cake or an almond in a cake and whoever once a week, whoever gets that doesn't have to do a certain chore or writing little notes and putting them under plates or calling the, the names of recipes, funny names, like we're gonna have headhunter stew or razzmatazz ravioli or chakaraka daka chocolate cake, something kind of fun like that. I would highly recommend this little book here, The Table Talk Sampler. It's a great resource to encourage a family discussion around the table. There's 31 days of ideas to stimulate dinner conversation. And I've used this with my kids too. Sometimes if, if you think the conversation is deteriorating and it's not very good or lively, just use one of these little stories or quotes or questions to spark good conversation around the dinner table. Okay, mamas and grandmothers, we have come to the end of our presentation today. I feel like I need to get in the kitchen and start cooking something. I just want to bear witness to you that as you establish these family traditions of praying together, of doing devotions, of working together, of having fun little activities and then eating together, you will not only make memories, but you are sowing seeds that will bear a lifetime of harvest the relationships you foster, we can quote a full screen, the patterns and the habits you establish will have a profound effect on your children and grandchildren. And the love that you nurture within your home and around your humble table will have a lasting effect that will be felt for generations to come. And isn't that <laughs> what it's all about? I want you to know you're doing a great job, moms and grandmoms. You're here tonight. You're maybe even here during the dinner hour. Maybe you're, I don't know, but it, you, you don't show up without having to sacrifice something. You're doing a great job. I hope this was helpful tonight.